Okay, and that's the announcements for today, and we will shift to the scripture reading. Okay, so it comes from Philippians 1. Here we go. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you are all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Emily, so much. Uh, thank you, worship team. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, today, I have the privilege of uh, launching us into our next sermon series, uh, where we will walk through the book of Philippians. So, Arnold, you can just kind of flip it to that title slide. Um, you know, it's an incredibly short book, um, and it's, well, it's actually, it's a letter, okay? It's a letter that Paul wrote to the believers in a city called Philippi. Now, the Philippian church, it likely holds a very special place in Paul's heart because it's the first church that he planted in the, on the continent of Europe. So if you guys, you know, he's, he's from Jerusalem. He traveled like hundreds of miles to get to uh, Europe. And this is the first community, this first church that he planted. Uh, and actually, Paul writes this letter while he is in house arrest in Rome and getting to Rome is another journey uh, that is uh, full of this shipwreck and snake bites and all this kind of danger. Uh, this stuff is documented in Acts chapter 28. We're not going to get into any of that stuff, but uh, it's exciting stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, Paul is in house arrest in Rome. He writes this letter, and he's actually awaiting a court appearance before Caesar, facing possible execution. Okay, so that's kind of the state of the circumstance, the reality that Paul is in as he writes this letter. Uh, again, it's, it's, it's short. It's a letter. It's short, probably three pages, and I'm not saying like one, two, three pages. I mean like one page, two page, three page, you know what I mean? So if you're a slow reader like I am, and I am a pretty slow reader, it took me nine minutes to read. So <laughs> it should probably take you at least under 10 minutes to read. And so I do want to encourage us, uh, we're going to be in this book for the next 10 or 12 weeks. I think it's 12 weeks. We're going to be in it, and uh, I, I want to encourage us to, to read it, right? To read it on our own time, and at least a few times, and I want to say at least one time to read it through like in one sitting. Again, nine minutes. You can try to beat my, beat my score. <laughs> I bet some of you can read it in like three minutes if you're a speed reader. Boom, 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 boom. Um, so again, it's short, and I, I keep saying that. It's not the shortest book. I think, I think Philemon has the shortest book. Um, but it is, it is short, but even though it's short, it's packed with quotable passages. Um, next slide up there, Arnold. Um, they, these, are, these are just some of the well-known passages that if you're like, oh, oh, that's in Philippians. Oh, yeah, that's in Philippians, okay? So Philippians chapter 1, there's this verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In chapter 2, uh, this actually, there is kind of a, oh, man, what is it called? Like the, the poem of... 
the poem of Jesus or something. Oh, man, I'm getting that wrong. But it goes, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, uh, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Okay? It goes on. Right? So if you guys are familiar with that passage, it's a hail to the king. Um, in chapter 3, uh, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, right? We know that passage. Uh, later in that chapter, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the prize. Um, next, uh, in chapter 4, I can do all things. You guys know this, right? I can do all things through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. There's a passage, uh, chapter, uh, verses six through seven. Do not be anxious about anything, right? But in everything, in prayer, and petition. And then uh, verse eight, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, think about such things. Now, these last three passages, I looked it up, man. I looked up, uh, there's, a, there's a website called Ranker where they rank like everything. And in that, uh, it's like, you know, top, I don't know, top 20, like most quoted Bible verses. Um, these three are in the top 20. I looked up another one from, uh, from Uversion Bible app, if you guys use that app. Uh, it, the most shared passages of 2014, I know this just happened to be what popped up on my search, but these three passages are top six uh, from 2016. And then from another uh, website called, um, where am I? Bible Study Tools, these, are, these three are top 10, right? So, Philippians, uh, it's a really short book, but it's like, it's, it's familiar. If you, if you read the Bible, it is familiar. It's got a, these really uh, quotable passages. But just because uh, it's packed with quotable, quotable bits, uh, that's not why we're going to be diving into this book or into this letter so why? Why are we diving in? Why are we going to spend so much time in this letter? You know, these are some of the reasons that we, that we want to just soak in this letter. We want to live in the joy, in the joy that Paul talks about repeatedly in this letter. Many scholars call this letter Paul's singing letter, his great singing letter. He uses the words joy and rejoice 16 times in this letter. We are, in a sense, we're fighting for joy amidst trial, right? Joy amidst sorrow, joy amidst pending death. Now, this is Paul, right? His circumstance in writing the letter, he's, he's in house arrest. He's waiting to see Caesar. He might get the execution sentence. Even then, joy amidst pending death, joy amidst uncertainty, joy amidst pandemic, right? And fear and isolation, even suspicion, if that's how some of us are feeling about the pandemic. Joy amongst these things. And, and Paul is urging the believers to press on to the prize. 
press on to the prize of this upward call in Christ. We want to look at this book amidst, you know, this is the reality across, across, like, across the world in churches, but amidst waning church attendance, right? Now, this is across the globe, this is across the globe, uh, and even here at King's Cross. We're looking at just kind of what's been happening over the last, it feels like it's, it's this kind of growing uh, thing, but, but amidst uh, deconstruction, quote-unquote deconstruction of faith, end quote, of like these prominent Christian leaders, these celebrity Christians, and so many of them are deconstructing their faith, and then there's others where there's scandal, right? Scandal and abuse and all these cover-ups that are being exposed by other leaders. It's amidst these things, amidst racial tension, amidst war. And it's just, I think for all of us, it's just, it's exhausting at times, right? We're living in this reality that's just, it's exhausting, it's isolating, So amidst all of these things, uh, Paul in this letter, he calls the believers to joy. Can we say that together? Can we say joy? (laughs) Paul calls us to joy. Now again, he wrote this this book, uh, this letter from, from house arrest, Uh, And he wrote this to the believers in Philippi in part to thank them because they had been supporting him financially. They had been just supporting him like like emotionally. Um, I keep doing this. I think I'm allowed to remove this. I'm going to do it. Boom. Um, So in part, he wanted to thank them. You know, thank you guys. Thank you that you are partnering with me. Uh, That they are... Uh, supporting him, and, and even amidst imprisonment, because, I mean, it's probably not so different today, but especially back then, when people go to prison, like, that's kind of like a shameful thing, and it would be normal for people to distance themselves from people that are imprisoned. But even still, like, the, the, the Philippian church, they're continuing to support, continuing to just to, to, to care for him, and he wants to thank them, but that's not, that's not all. The letter is much more than a, than a thank you note. Uh, he wanted to encourage the Philippians. Paul wants to encourage the Philippians in their faith. And Paul takes great joy himself when he thinks of them and their faith. And he takes great joy in urging them forward to deepen their faith, to grow their faith. He wants them to progress in the Christian life to, again, quote, press on toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, all that said, we're going to read the, kind of the, this, this entire uh, 11 verses. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Please uh, read along with me. This first part is a greeting. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, 
to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, uh, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. (laughs) It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. So Paul begins, as most letters do, he begins with a greeting. He says that this is to all the saints who are at Philippi. Paul's talking to all believers. I don't know if you've ever considered yourself a saint, but Paul is talking about all believers and saying, hey, saints, And this is not because we're good, because we have halos over our heads, because we wear white gowns or something like this. I don't know. Not because we are morally, you know, better than someone else, but because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, because of his goodness and grace. All right? So he writes, to all the saints in Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons. So these are the leaders of the church, the servants of the church. He's talking to the entire church body. And he says, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a familiar greeting from Paul if you've read Paul's letters. And I feel like it it feels a little bit awkward uh, if I were to say that, or maybe if if you were to say it, I I think there was a time when I was in college, like I I wanted to try to, you know, I would write letters to people and try to to do that, grace and peace to you. You know, but now, like I think about it, it feels a little almost presumptuous, like, man, who am I to do a greeting like this? Like, am I at the standard of Paul? But then I think about it, and isn't it so much more meaningful than, hey, what's up? Good afternoon. You know, like, it's so much more meaningful, right? Grace and peace. They come from God. It doesn't come from me. It comes from God through Jesus. So, man, why don't we greet each other that way? And so, can we greet each other, say, grace and peace to you? Would you extend that to each other? Yeah. So in this short passage, short 11 verses, 
Paul introduces major themes that are, that are going to keep coming up throughout this letter. Major themes that just that continue to echo. He is thankful. He, he's, he's full of thanksgiving. He's full of joy. This letter is full of joy. Paul talks about God's commitment. God's commitment to all believers. And throughout, there's this language of intimacy and great affection. Okay, so we're going to start off with the first, the first bit, thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. If you, have a, if you have a Bible, like, you know, your, your device or whatever, like, you can have the passage open. Again, Philippians chapter 1. Uh, and at least in the, in the ESV, uh, this section begins, and it's got a heading, and it says, Thanksgiving. Verse 3, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. See, when Paul thinks of them, he is thankful. He's, he's grateful for them. Like, he's grateful for what they've done for him, the ways that they've supported him, the ways that they are continuing to care for him. But he's also, he's thankful to God who has working such kindness through them. Paul is thankful, and he speaks with great joy, with this great affection. He talks about how they are partners, that they have a partnership in the gospel. In verse 7, he says that, 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 we are, that you are fellow partakers of grace with me. And this is in his imprisonment, which we consider like through persecution, right? And in defense and confirmation of the, of the gospel. So they are, partners, uh, they are partners with him in the gospel through persecution and in action. You know, the last few weeks, Pastor Sangmin, every time that he's been preaching, uh, he's been really urging us, the church, people here at King's Cross, he's, he's been saying, like, if you consider us your pastors, if you consider this your church, then please come out. Encouraging us to this commitment to continue meeting, to come in person, to worship together. And, and you know, and he's kind of highlighting, and I feel this myself, don't come just out of like convenience when it just kind of fits in your schedule, right? And then at the same time, don't come out of duty, but out of joyful commitment to come because Christ is glorious and we come to gather together to, to glory in Christ, to give him glory. And it's not because King's Cross is especially important. You know, that we're doing things as though we're like we're doing things better than other churches or something like that. Like, I, I, and it's not also, it's not because we want, you know, your loyalty just to like this body. But, you know, we have this desire, and I believe that we share this desire to grow, to grow more and more in the love of Christ to grow more and more in the love for Christ and for each other, right? In service and in unity and hope and even in power. And when we're just kind of loosely connected and kind of just kind of come and go and we're just kind of, you know, like, uh, yeah, I guess I'll go this week. I don't know, next week. Like, man, that stuff's hard to build. 
So we are encouraged to meet together, to glorify God together, to join in this joyful celebration of who Jesus is. Amen? Verse 6 says this, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on, will, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work. This is God. This is talking about God's commitment to believers. The one who began the good work, he's going to carry it on. He's going to bring it to completion. God is committed to believers. He is committed to us. And it was indeed a good work begun in the Philippians, in all believers, in all of us. Uh, Spurgeon says this, he says, the work of grace has its root in the divine goodness of the Father. It is planted by the self-denying goodness of the Son, and it is daily watered by the goodness of the Holy Spirit. It springs from good and leads to good, and so is altogether good. But I want to pause and kind of make us think for a little bit, if you haven't done this before, he who began a good work, this good work. What is this good work? What is this good work? And what, is, what does it look like as it's being brought to completion? Like what is the complete good work? Can we, can we think about that for a bit? What do you imagine? What do you imagine? What is this good work? Uh, when I, was a, I was a chaplain at an international school for three years, and, and every year we would do a retreat, and I would have to do this planning. Man, planning for retreats is hard. <laughs> um, but uh, one, one year, uh, the theme of the retreat was, was masterpiece in the making. Masterpiece in the making. And, and the theme verse was this, Philippians uh, uh, chapter 1, verse uh, Verse 6. And what's in view is God, right? God is the master craftsman, right? God is the master craftsman, and he's sculpting a good work. He's sculpting a masterpiece. And it's not done yet, but he will. He's going to finish it. He's going to carry it on to completion. But what is this good work? What is the masterpiece? What is it? What do you think? And I hope that you're actively thinking, like actually saying some words, at least in your head. What is this masterpiece? How do you, how do you process that? What do, you, what do you fill in? What are you, what are you imagining? What are you thinking? What do you imagine this good work, this masterpiece to be? Now, I think at first thought, at least for me, I think, I think of it as like, oh, maybe it's a, a better version of me, a better version of you, of you, Jeff, of a better version of Adam, a better version of Charles, a better version of Jeannie. Like maybe, like, is it a better version where, like, I don't have all of this, like, kind of sin kind of pulling me back, like, where I'm stronger, where I'm better, where I'm more faithful, where I'm, you know, more loving, a better version. And maybe, right? 
And Pastor Sangmin last week was talking about becoming more and more like Jesus. Like, wouldn't that be some of the attributes? Like, becoming more and more like Jesus? Like, man, we would love better. We would sacrifice better. We would hope more. We would have faith, right? We would be faithful. And so, you know, I, I, think, I think in part, like, it, it probably does have something to do with that. But, you know, at the same time, like, and even, even as we desire God, if, if we're here and we're like, man, I want to desire God, I want to desire obedience, and I've got this desire for his kingdom, as we saw last week, there's that gap. There's that gap of what I want to do and what I actually do, what I want to be and what I find myself, you know, currently am. That grammar was, was whack. <laughs> what I want to be and what I am, right? This gap. Paul says it, right? He says, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate, this gap. But maybe, right? Maybe that's part of it, the, the, the masterpiece that God is bringing to completion, that God is, and yeah, we saw that, that Jesus closes the gap, right? A beautiful, beautiful message. And so, yeah, I think, I think definitely that's part of it, but I want to read uh, Jesus' praise for all believers. This is in John chapter 20. I think I've got, we've got that slide. Um, sorry, Jesus, uh, John chapter 17. And this is Jesus praying. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. And he's talking about his disciples. But he's also, he's praying for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them, that's us, may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. I would like to propose that this thing, this good work, this masterpiece that God is bringing to completion, that he's bringing to perfection is that he is actually, he's bringing us into perfect love. Can you guys say this? Perfect love. He's bringing us into this perfect love, just as Jesus is, is, is with God, that he invites us into this, this perfect love that who God is, the triune God, that he is perfect love and he brings us in. And I believe that this is what God is working to completion. He's bringing us into perfect love. I believe this is good news. You know, we're, we're kind of, we're working through the passage here. The next section, Paul goes into this prayer. Paul goes into a prayer in verses 9 through 11. And he prays that the believers in Philippi, that their love would abound more and more. And that the love would be accompanied by knowledge and discernment. So he's talking very practically. A love that finds expression in wise actions that would benefit others and glorify God. Paul is praying that they would grow in the knowledge of Christ, but not only the knowledge, 
but also a, a knowledge that affects their decision making and their ways of understanding, their, way, their ability to affirm what is good. That would, you know, affect like their actions. And, you know, we've been seeing that it's, it's we like to think that it's our actions that kind of lead to, or I'm sorry, we often think that it's our, what we think that leads to our actions, and that, that's partially true, but we've also been seeing that it's our actions that lead to what we believe and our actions that point to what we love, right? Paul's talking about, like, all of this. He's like, a love that, that does all of this. Knowledge and discernment in action, in wise decisions, in an ability to uh, uh, affirm and practice what is excellent. And he continues, he prays that the believers would be filled with the fruits of righteousness. That's God's work, right? That's, that's the Holy Spirit working us to be able to bear fruit. And we know that bearing fruit is, is always a result of abiding in Jesus. As we abide in Jesus, you know, he, Jesus gives us that, that, uh, that parable of the vine and the branches. As the branches abide in the vine, that they will bear fruit. As we abide in Jesus, we receive life and nutrients for, to, to, to have this natural ability to bear fruit to God's glory. You know, this past summer, uh, my wife and I have been building a garden upstairs. It's been, it's been so fun. Uh, our, this is our first go at it. We, we started with cherry tomatoes and cucumbers, even, even threw some watermelon. And, and it's pretty easy to grow a vine, uh, if you've ever tried this. It's, it's pretty easy for a seed, like, I, don't, I mean, this is, this is a miraculous stuff. Don't get me wrong, miraculous stuff. That this tiny seed and it sprouts and it grows. But it's pretty easy. You just water it. It's pretty easy to, to grow into a, a vine and it gets greenery. And it's, e it's even actually pretty easy to, for, the, for the vine to bear, uh, to, to bloom, to have flowers. But it's actually, it's a totally different thing to bear fruit. This is what I found in the last month. We've got flowers all over the place, and the flowers fall off, and there's no fruit. And then to bear much fruit, it actually it requires something. It requires something more. It requires life and nutrients. So bearing fruit is always a result of abiding in Jesus. And so the one thing that Paul is talking about in this passage that is tying all of this together is Jesus. Is Jesus. I do, I love how Pastor Tim Keller, he, he boils down the gospel. He says, the gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. It's this reality, this tension. It's, it's like, you know, things in tension, like if, if you let go of the tension, it's going to veer one way or another, right? That's why it's called the tension. The tension that, that depending on kind of your temperament, maybe your past, maybe things that you're going through, like you're going to veer one way or another. You're going to veer towards like this, this shame and sin, or you're going to veer into this like, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm awesome. <laughs> or 
or I'm doing stuff, or I'm going to earn my way. I'm going to, I'm going to do stuff to, to, get, to gain God's approval. But it's this tension. Man, we're worse. You're, you're worse than you, ever, than you even realize. And yet, far more loved and accepted in Jesus. Man, it's a thing that we can rest in this reality. You know, at King's Cross, we, 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 we say the gospel like this uh, week after week. We say, Jesus lived the life that we could not live. That's this life of holiness, the life of obedience, the life just before God. Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live, and he died the death that we deserved. The death because of our sinfulness, our selfishness, our desire to be our own gods. And Jesus did these things so that we could have life to the full. It's a life of humility, not shame. It's a life of repentance, not guilt. And it is life of fullness and a life of joy. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up. Um, again, Paul starts this, he greets, and then he, he practices this great thanksgiving, this intimate, this authentic thanksgiving. And I want to say just for application for us, man, we, can we practice thanksgiving? Can we practice thanksgiving for each other? And, you know, you can take this and you can apply it to your various circles. Definitely do that within your families, your friends, in your workplace. Like, do that. But, man, can we apply that here at King's Cross? Can we practice thanksgiving for each other? You know, Paul's talking to the church in Philippi, the believers in Philippi. I don't know exactly how, what that community looked like and, how, and how the, the, the dynamic there. But, man, we're here. We're here. We're a church. We're a church of King's Cross. Can we practice this kind of Thanksgiving. Because if we don't, you know, as we've been saying, if we don't, it's so easy to fall into just being casual. It's just so easy to just kind of be detached, you know, close to the door, ready to go. And then another question, do circumstances, do our circumstances, your daily, you know, even just your daily rhythm, your daily schedule, do circumstances consistently outweigh our commitment? Because it's so difficult. It's difficult to maintain and grow authentic thankfulness for each other in this community if we're not communing together, right? I mean, that's, that's just... That's just reality. So can we practice thanksgiving for each other and also thanksgiving for our great God who is committed to you? This good work that God has begun in you, he is carrying it on to completion, amen? And we can be thankful for that.
And the last, just the last bit for today, I would love for us to receive the prayer. Verses 9 through 11 again. Um, and if we can, as, as, as we pray this together, to let your heart and your mind become more and more aware of the centrality, of that Jesus is the central piece in this prayer. That the practice of joy begins with, is motivated by, is empowered through, and is fulfilled in Jesus. So this prayer, so Arnold, if you can find just that last part, verses um, 9 to 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We're going to move into a time of communion. And you know, in our passage, Paul says, I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, right? Partakers of grace. And for today, this invitation into communion today is to partake in this grace. I love what Pastor Sungman said last week. We're being invited to the Lord's table. This is the Lord's table, and he invites us. This brings us back as we, as we practice this, as we, as we partake in this. It brings us back to the night before Jesus' crucifixion, where he gave bread and wine to his disciples as his body and his blood. We're going to sing this short chorus uh, to give language to the need that we have for Jesus. I want to crave you Like water in the desert I want to love you more than life Let your holy body Become my feast Let your blood be my wine As we partake in this feast, would you take out your elements?